this is Chris Tannehill coming to you from CNEI. Uh, we're talking uh, youth recovery. Uh, this is with Brock. This is part three. For those of you that missed one and two, it's available to you. Uh, just look back into the uh, podcast list. But other than that, uh, like I said, we're at part three. We're talking about after treatment. And I want to ask Brock some uh, some questions here. So, Brock, you finished treatment. Now what? Uh, wow. I mean, it was too big of a question for me to answer at first. Um, my, my journey was a little bit different. Um, I was in treatment in Palm Springs, California. Uh, my, my insurance cut out on day 87 of 90. And at 1130 at night, you know, 3000 miles away from my family, they said, uh, we can't keep you, uh, your insurance cut you out. Um, you have to leave. And I said, I don't have any money or a plane ticket home. They said, we don't care. And they put me on the street that night. So at 11.45 at night, I walked to a Denny's across the street, basically homeless, 3,500 miles away from home. And, uh, you know, at that point, I could have made a decision to do what I always did and check out, get loaded again, cope with my feelings the way I always did. Um, but for whatever reason, I, like, committed. And I went across the street. I asked every single person that would let me use their phone, like a smartphone, to use one. I looked up every sober living in the desert and called every single one. No one answered except for this little old lady who was running a sober living in town. I believe her name was Betty. She answered the phone. At mid I mean, I don't know what a 70-year-old lady is doing answering the phone in the middle of the night. But she answered the phone and said, listen, I have no money. I have no way to pay you. I have no job. I have no way to guarantee you I will have money. But I don't have anywhere to go and I'm willing to work for it. And she prorated me the bed. And she let me stay. Brock, the only thing I've got to say about that is I'd have gotten loaded. Thought about it. I'd, I, well, I would have gotten loaded if yeah. it had been me. I don't know. I mean, that that's there's a difference. We'll talk about that too in a second. But that's that's amazing. The um, so okay. I mean, go ahead. Continuing, I, I I had to pay for my own bed, so I you know I got two jobs right away. I was working at KFC again. You know, life came full circle, and then I got another job at a little French restaurant. I was working both of those at the same time while in sober living, going to you know a meeting or two a day and just doing everything I was suggested to do just to keep myself afloat. The uh, quick question, because somebody always asks me this, uh, being sober, being clean, is there a secret to it? Um, I don't know if there's necessarily a secret to it. My favorite way of putting it is just get out of your own damn way. Um, when I look back at my life, the person causing all the problems was me. My problems resided in me. I was the one screwing it up, getting in my own way of, you know, success or happiness or striving and recovery most of the time. I would always, you know, go back to what was comfortable and what was comfortable for me wasn't a positive environment. Okay. Now, now that you're out of treatment and you got your head on slightly straight, shall we say, um, can you get loaded after, say, a year being clean? Yeah, it happens more often than not. I mean, but can can you do that? Can you personally do that? Can I? Yeah. I don't know if... Is there, is there a period of time after which you're allowed to get loaded again? <laughs> no, not for me. No, not at all. Ex I, explain that. Why? Uh, you know, people always say, like, I have another relapse in me, but I don't have another recovery in me. Like, I don't know if I have the strength to get back to where I am again. Um and that's one of those healthy fears that's like, 
you know, no part of me wants to go back to what I was doing. My life is so much better today. But when I have those weak moments, you know, I can play the tape through and I'm just like, no, I don't want to go back to that. Let me ask you another honest question. Um, if you knew uh, what this was going to be when you started, if you knew all the crap you're going to have to go through to get to here sitting next to me, um, would you have done this? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, it sounds like a lot, especially when they present it to you. Um, in AA especially, like give you the 12 steps, get a sponsor, go to the meetings, work, you know, all the stuff that they want you to do. It seems like what they call a tall task. And for somebody that's new and just naive to the whole process, it was a lot to ask. But um, just doing little by little, my life got better fast. I think after we, life does get better for us and we do do some of those tall tasks. It's like, I'm not going back yeah. personally myself, but if I had known I was going to have to do all this stuff, I don't, I don't know either if I would have done this, but you know, it was either that or, you know, you could see the life I was living. So, but you I, quickly, you, like going off of that, you quickly see it pays out tenfold. Like what you get back out of it is far beyond what you thought you were going to get out of it. I mean, I didn't think that any of the things I have in my life were possible. I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for where my life could go. Um, I didn't think my ceiling was very high. Let me ask you another question that's not so much between us, but for the listeners. The path you chose was abstinence. And how do you stay sober for the rest of your life and never get high again? How do you do that? That's not a thing. Explain that. getting, Getting sober and never using for the rest of your life isn't even a concept that my brain, I can't wrap my head around it. It's too much, even today. Like, I don't know where I'm going to be, you know, in 10 years from now. If you would have asked me five years ago, you know, what my life would look like, what it looks like now was not my answer. Um, I have to take it as cliche as it sounds. And I cringe saying it still to this day because I cringe when other people said it to me is one day at a time. <laughs> and I'm, I hate being the guy that says it. And now I'm that guy. But it's true. I mean, I can't, I can't look past today or tomorrow. It's just, you know, what's the purpose? I get no I get nothing out of it. Um, future tripping and all that, it just doesn't do much for me. All I know is if I stay sober today and I finish the things I need to do, I go to work, I pay my bills, you know, I go to a meeting, I do the things that you know make my life better, I'm really going to hit the bed pretty happy. That's the other thing. I think people have this terrible preconception or this uh, media version of being sober. It's like, oh, I fight to stay sober every day. And I found that you know if I do this correctly, there's – not a huge amount of effort. There's some painful days, but there's not this huge amount of effort I need to put forth every day. Absolutely. I mean, the further I get down the road, those bad days are, you know, further and further between each other. And I don't, I would say that I have nine out of 10 days are great, you know, and then the bad days aren't as bad as they used to be. This life of an emotional roller coaster isn't so crazy. It's just kind of like a, you know, it's a nice, even keel ride that, now it's the yeah. waterbed. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, I have another question. You're newly out of treatment. Let's go back to there for a second. Did you want to get high again in, in, at any of those times? And if so, how'd you deal with it? Yeah, I wanted to get high all the time. Cravings, um, you know, using dreams, um, seeing friends get loaded. Um, my dog died. My family, you know, family members died. Friends died. Um, all things that are seem like would have been great excuses to go get high. Um, yeah. All I know is that I planted my feet in such a good area that I had people around me that helped make clear-cut decisions for me when 
um, I started trying to act impulsively um, and thank God because that's what I was directed to do when I got, you know, into meetings and sober living and stuff like that. You know, surround yourself with the winners or whatever they say. It's it's more to surround yourself with people that, you know, aren't screwing up their life, that are, you know, doing something for themselves. Oh, I get that. The uh, Did anyone hinder you or try to deter you from being clean sober? Any old friends, any family for that matter? I don't think that anybody wished ill upon me at all and, like, tried to deter me. Um, but without trying, yeah, I mean, it's the old friends, the old neighborhood, the old places, they just... They're dangerous in early recovery, for me at least. And uh, I couldn't really go back to that and not have a you know, weird effect. But Let's talk about your old friends. Uh, how many are still your true friends today? People that I used with back in the day, um, zero. Because I came to find out that those people were only friends because we had one thing in common, and that one thing in common was we liked the same drugs. Um, that was it. You're friendly while you're there. They're friendly while the money's around, while the dope's around. Once it's gone, you know, you have no use to them. Um, but I still have one or two friends that, you know, didn't dabble in the hard drugs as much as I did. You know, when they saw me kind of take that path, they kind of pulled away. And then when I got sober, they, um, we reconnected, and I still have, you know, pretty supportive people. Is your family pretty supportive? Yeah, uh, surprisingly. You know, my family was pissed at me I was I ruined a lot of burned all the bridges you know put my family through hell um, I didn't expect to get any of them back really to be honest um, but you know my family life is better than it's ever been before I feel like you know if my family is listening to this like I feel like I'm a pretty high standing member of the family don't cut me down if you heard this but uh you know I <laughs> you know I've totally changed my life around and then coming to find out years down the road they finally kind of disclosed to me that there's a lot of people in my family that are sober but when I was younger, they never disclosed that to me. They never found it appropriate. But like I have, you know, family members that are, you know, decades into the program, sober, living a great life, and I would have never guessed. The uh, let me ask you, how did you feel about yourself right after leaving treatment? Because what I want to ask you next is, how do you feel about yourself today versus then? When I left treatment, I was, I was raw. It was the first time that I got, you know, that fog went away and they kind of introduce you to some of the step work where you're looking internally and looking at some of the wreckage you've caused. And it was just, you know, it's hard to look at. You do a lot of damage. And it's the first time you can really grasp that you're not just hurting yourself and your addiction. You're hurting, you know, a world of people around you. And let's look at you today because you've, you've, you've dealt with a lot of that and you've repaired a lot of that. How do you see yourself today versus back then? Um, far better, but a work in progress. I mean, if, like, if I don't stay, you know, somewhat teachable or have an area to grow, then, you know, I'm doomed. Um, but I do think that I'm a much better guy. I've, you know, grown in many areas, but, uh, you know, there's still a lot, a lot to learn. I've got some more ugly questions for you. We're almost, uh, out of part three here, but would you recommend staying sober to anyone else out there? And if so, how do you do that and not sound like you're full of shit? Um, good question. <laughs> yeah, I looked at this one and I kind of laughed. It was, it's, would I recommend getting sober to people? Yes, I would. Um, it makes life so much easier. And it's, seeing people loaded now is like so unattractive to me that I, it just doesn't even appeal to me anymore. But 
how do I say that without sounding full of shit? Um, I don't know. It's a tough. It's a tough thing to grasp when I was in the middle of it and then fresh out of it. I couldn't really see past. Like I said in the first part, I couldn't see past that this wasn't going to be a part of my life for a long time. And I couldn't see how, you know, my friend group was going to change. And it's it's like a whole, it's the biggest part of my life. And throwing that away was a huge change. But replacing that with so many more positive things has made my life, you know, way more worthwhile. I found a purpose in my life. God, it sounds terrible. I would have hated, the way I sound right now, I would have hated when I was getting sober. But I did, like I found a purpose to my life that you know it makes getting up in the morning and helping others and you know doing things like that it makes my life a lot better let me ask you for other people out there how, how can you tell if you have a problem um when you start messing your priorities up when you start putting drugs and getting loaded above you know your morals above your family above food above water above where you're living you know no not paying bills i mean you got a problem, dude. That's not a normal thing to do. And before, I was just like, oh, I don't need that much food. I had, I'd save $1 a day, and I'd get a McChicken from McDonald's. I'd eat half of it, put the rest in the fridge, eat it later. So I was probably too sick to eat it. And at the time, I thought that that was reasonable. That was a reasonable plan. The, yeah. uh, I did like the... Uh... No, I did like the idea of spending all of my rent on something else entirely. The, um, okay, so say you determine you have a problem. Who should you speak to? Uh, you know what, if it, it seemed like I couldn't turn to a lot of people when I was loaded and you'd be surprised how many people genuinely care and want to help you. Um, it seems like, you know, that might not be the case, but for me, it didn't seem like that was the case because the only people I was surrounding myself with at the time wanted me to stay loaded with them. Misery loves company. That's just kind of how it went. But if you're looking for someone to, you know, get you to that next step to help you, um, anybody you trust or care about, like, you know, family members that want to see you do well, guidance counselors, um, you can reach out to therapists online, call treatment centers yourself, you can call your insurance company, they'll give you lists. I mean, there's a million, especially now with how, like, vast the internet is, you can get help anywhere, and it's super available. Let me ask you another tough question, because I've seen a lot of people... And just to reiterate, folks, you know, um, Brock got sober when he was young. I did not. I tried many times, but it isn't the years, it's the mileage. And I'm convinced of that. But what I want to know is how come you succeeded so far and so many others in your age bracket have not? So far, nice save. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, the path that I see most commonly taken is, you know, the young you know, 18 to 25, maybe up to 30, you know, addict that comes in. And as soon as he gets sober, um, he wants to, again, associate with the people that were just like when they were using. Um, Hang out with the young people, hang out with the people messing around, doing what they're not supposed to. When I got sober, I didn't make a single friend from sober living. I didn't have a friend that was, you know, my best friend was like 62 years old. And he had 13 years sober, and that's the guy I hung out with because he had something I wanted. He was happy. He was sober. He was living a good life. He wasn't on the verge of, you know, dying or going to prison or putting into a, you know, psych ward or, you know, he had good things going for him in life. And the people that were just getting there that were new and young and 
hanging out with the same, you know, idiots that were about to go right back out, and they all do, and a lot of them die. I didn't want that. I saw that too many times. I mean, within my first year of sober, being sober, I saw at least, you know, three or four wakes of people that I was somewhat close to. I mean, it's just, it happens fast, and people are really unaware of how fast that happens. So the most important thing for me was, you know, I did all the suggestions. I just did the work. I stopped making excuses for myself like, oh, I'm going to, you know, get up, go to work. You know, I'm going to, ah, I don't need that meeting today. I don't need this. I don't need that. I just uh, I stopped making excuses for myself, got the sponsor, did the work, and hung out with people that, you know, were living a decent life. Wow. Hey, that's enough. That's part three. Brock, thank you. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hey, you are well, I'm, I'm grateful. You're welcome. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of part three, Youth and Recovery. Uh, this is Chris Tannehill coming to you from CNEI. Uh, folks, be good to each other, okay? Bye-bye.